You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us here on the Decoding Success Podcast for yet another episode that I am really excited to bring to you. So on that note, welcome back to the show. If you are new here, welcome. We are excited to have you no matter how you ended up finding this, whether it was through a post of mine on social media or a friend shared it. Regardless, I'm grateful for all of you that are tuned in right now and really excited to bring to you today's amazing guest of the day, Mr. Ron Carucci. Now, Ron is a co-founder and managing partner at Navalent, working with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, their leaders, and their industries. He has a 30-year track record helping executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 10s, nonprofits to heads of states, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth. He has helped Helped organizations articulate strategies that lead to accelerated growth and design organizations that can execute those strategies. He has worked in more than 25 countries on four continents. In other words, Ron is global. He is the author of eight books, including the recent Amazon number one bestseller, Rising to Power. He is a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review, where Navalent's work on leadership was named one of 2016's management ideas that mattered most. He is also a regular contributor to Forbes and a two-time TEDx speaker. His work has been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Inc., Business Insider, MSNBC, Business Weeks, Smart Business, and Thought Leaders. Now, here's why Ron and I really get along. Number one, he loves to ride his bike, as do I. We all know that if you follow me on social, I'm always on the bike. But on top of that, Ron is a Seahawks fan and Russell Wilson has been phenomenal for me in fantasy this year. So we're just going to throw that out there. But seriously, I'm really excited to dive into everything that Ron and I talked about. But before we get into that, I want to give a huge shout out to all of our partners that help make these episodes happen. You've heard me say it once. I'll say it again because you want to know what they're absolutely changing the game personally for me and for all of the individuals that are tuning into this show and actually taking us up on these amazing partnerships. So number one, first and foremost, huge shout out to Gen M. Now, Gen M is revolutionizing the space of providing businesses with remote marketing interns. Now, again, I said remote marketing, but they are not limited to that. They are doing beta test runs on different areas of business, such as sales and elsewhere. It is really phenomenal what they're doing. Now, if you are located in Minnesota and you need a remote marketing intern, you can find one on the Gen M platform without specifically finding one in that Minnesota area. And that goes for you listening in Florida, you in Houston, you in New York and back and forth, wherever you are, Gen M is the platform that will allow you to find an individual to help you grow and scale your business on the marketing side of things. It's really phenomenal. They've transformed my business here at 1B Branding, my branding agency in New York City, and it is such an amazing, amazing platform that has helped me level up what I have going on. And you want to know what I want to let you do the same. I want you to be able to have that same opportunity, which is exactly why we partnered up with them. All you have to do is head over to the show notes of 
this episode. Right now, you can just scroll up if you're listening to I on your iPhone or whatever the case is. You are able to click the link and be directed to the Gen M platform. This is super effective, and you want to know what? It is super affordable, coming in at less than $200 per quarter. That is less than $1,000 per year for help. That is honestly such a godsend. But on top of that, we are also partnered up with Audible. Now recently, I have been binging books because you wanna know what, I set a goal in the beginning of the year to read X amount of books, and I've been cheating a little bit by using Audible because I don't necessarily consider that reading, but I consider it listening, and it's still consuming the books that I wanna consume, so Audible has been hooking me up. They have actually hooked many people up that tune into this show with a complimentary, totally free trial of their platform, which includes a no-strings-attached, completely free book. Any book that you want on the Audible platform is totally free by using this link. Now, you could also find the link in the show notes of this episode to keep it simple and make it easy for you. All you have to do is head over to audibletrial.com forward slash decoding success or just scroll over to the show notes of this episode, click the link, and you are there, ready to sign up. Like I said, totally free, no strings attached. Make sure you get on that. So huge shout out to Gen M, huge shout out to Audible, and without further ado, I bring to you my guy, Ron Carucci. Ron, first and foremost, we always start this show off with expressing gratitude, and that is exactly what I wanna do for you right here, right now. I am super excited to have you on here to amplify your message, to learn from you, and in the, the grand spectrum of things, just have a great time while doing it. So thank you for joining us, Ron. Matt Labrie, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Now, first question for you straight off the bat, this is how we kick off every episode actually, is how do you personally define success? Uh, well, so there's, there's my theory and then there's my practice, right? So in theory, I think if you're living a joyful life, making a contribution and providing for yourself, well, being self-sufficient, that's should be success. And I think at the core, that's what I really believe. But there are days my actions don't match that. There are days when, you know, the wrong vanity metrics or the wrong economic metrics or the wrong, you know, visibility metrics, you know, capture my ego or my heart. And I, and I define success the wrong ways in more temporal forms. But and I don't think it's bad to want, you know, visibility or be ambitious or to want to have bigger reach. I just think that our world has so hijacked uh, the definition of success that it's separated from what deep, deep gratification and satisfaction really means. And so often people who have all of the success in ways many people define it aren't happy. Um, so... I, I would hope that most of the days I live my life defining success as um, being satisfied with what I have, being satisfied with the contribution I make, grateful that I have people that love me and that I can you know, pay my bills. Mm. I hear that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciate you sharing the, you know, mentioning that you're, you're human too, right? Uh, we do fall off track and that's, you know, going to be the next question. And, you know, you brought up a great point, which is exactly what spurs that first question straight off the bat for every interview is society's definition of success or what they paint the picture to, um, you know, what, what success is essentially, right? You need to be driving this car, you need to be living in this city in this type of building or in this type of house. So honestly, Ron, I really appreciate you sharing that and mentioning the, the joys and the fulfillments and things of that nature. So like I said, basically, my next question for you is how do you find yourself staying on track to or focused to achieve that? Well, you know, I think 
all of us have to be grounded in some sense of purpose, right? We have to have some sense of meaning in our life that sort of is a plumb line that guides our choices and sort of helps us navigate muddy waters. I think, um, you know, the onslaught of the, the, the dark side of social media has taught people that, you know, you can be an overnight sensation, but we all know that the truth is it takes, it takes about 10 years to be an overnight sensation. And, and so uh, for me, you know, I have rituals in my life. I have practices in my life that, that try and remind me of why I believe I'm on the planet, what my purpose is in the, in the world and how I can make a difference. And I think if you have a plumb line, if you have articulated some core sense of meaning for yourself, then that should help form the metrics of success and the metrics of what makes you happy. I think if you, if you lack, if you're rudderless, if you don't have those core <clears throat> values or a sense of meaning in your life, then you're going to be, you're going to have your heart and soul hijacked by every, you know, by every fad du jour, every, you know, next person's yardstick that they're holding up against you uh, that makes you feel inadequate or makes you feel inferior. And you're going to be chasing versions of success that aren't you and that are going to be short lived. Exactly, exactly. And Ron, you know, you touched on the journey, essentially, when you mentioned um, no such thing as an overnight success, right? It takes X amount of years in reality. So I would love to touch on your personal journey. Give us a bit of your background, your journey. And while you're at it, fill us in on your current venture. So um, I'm born and raised in your your hood in New York. I've been in Seattle for the last 15 years. Have been in the field of organizational behavior for about 30 years in a variety of forms, um, you know, came to love this early on in my life. I, you know, I was the kid on in New York who wanted to organize whatever the event was that needed to be organized. I've always been fascinated by what can happen when humans come together in a in, in shared endeavor. Um, you know, had been through, it went through a variety of corporate experiences, learned that, you know, uh, uh, if I was going to, if I was going to live out my passion for organizations, it was probably going to have to be by not being part of one because sometimes telling the truth inside organizations isn't always welcomed, but outside organizations that it, it actually gets you paid well. And I had this horrible penchant for wanting to, to tell the truth about what was really going on. So, you know, switched to the external consulting world in the probably early nineties, mid nineties. And, uh, and about 15 years ago, started my own firm. Navalent with a couple of friends. Um, we were part of a large firm in New York City and that got sold to an even bigger firm. And I think when that happened, it stopped being fun. And so um, we said we can still be passionate about this work and we can just do it on our own. So we started Navalent uh, back then and I came to Seattle at the same time to start my, my, my version here. I love it. I love it. Now, Bring us through what your company actually does. Uh, give the listeners some some background. I want to talk to you specifically about scaling, but I, I would love to learn more about the company and amplify that message for you too. Yeah, so Navalent is a boutique consulting firm. We spend our days accompanying leaders, uh, mostly in midsize or large companies, but certainly we've worked with startup leaders as well who have some daunting transformational change in front of them. They're trying to scale a business. They're trying to get out of a ditch. They're trying to, you know, capitalize on some tailwinds or get through some headwinds. And we help them construct journeys that actually get them there. You know, we're not the quick fix consultants that come in with a silver bullet. We understand that major change that sticks is pretty complicated and is messy. And so we accompany those leaders on those journeys in ways that help make them stronger and make their organizations thrive. 
my question to that is, you know, just from your personal experience, what do you see that needs to be in place for a company to scale successfully? So three things. One is a clear strategy. And that's often not the case. You know, whenever I ask organizations for their strategy, I get the counterfeits. I get a mission or a vision statement. I get the values. I get the product quotas. I get that year's financial objectives. I get some version of, you know, here's what we want to do now, um, which doesn't tell me who you are. And until you can tell me on the basis on which you can win, the basis on which other people who would pay you money would choose you over somebody else and how you have it invested in protecting that differentiation, you have no strategy. Because until you can tell me what you're saying no to, uh, what you're saying yes to doesn't matter. So the first thing you've got to do is carve out the swim lanes you're going to win in and compete in and stick to them. And then the second thing is you got to build an organization that can actually deliver it. So often, you know, leaders build org charts and layer on resources and bloat their costs uh, as a, again, a counterfeit for scaling, they grow, but they don't scale, meaning they're, you know, they're spending money almost as much as they're making it. You know, scaling means you, you, you configure your organization and your assets and your investments directly in line with your strategy, which means you understand that not all work is created equal. You know, some work is your competitive work. That's the work that you do. that if you put a buck in five hours comes in the door and then you have to protect that work. It's about 15% of the activities in your organization. The next category of work is your competitive enabling work. This is the work that directly supports the things that make you special. And that's another 15% of your work. The rest of your work, about 60% of the activities that happen in your organization are just necessary. They keep the lights on, they keep you out of jail, they keep you in compliance. And you should do that work. You get no benefit from doing it any better than anybody else. You should do it for maximum efficiency. But your competitive work, you should organize for maximum maximum effectiveness. You know, the best talent, the best resources, the best way to do it. The problem is most companies haven't done that work, so they get it, it gets all mixed up. And of course, you know, when you when you have competitive work mixed with necessary work, the necessary work always wins because it's more immediate and it dilutes the, the stuff that makes you special. So clear strategy clear organization. And the last one is good leadership. You have to have people who can guide the journey. You have to have people who can bring out the best in the talent around you. You have to have people who make them want to show up every morning on fire, committed and understanding how they contribute to that competitive work. Um, And so many leaders have none of those or only one of those. And you're never going to scale and go the distance if you haven't got all three. For sure. Now, my question on leadership is, do you feel it's something that people are born with or do you feel like someone could adapt into a leader? I don't think I don't think great leaders are born at all. I think it's a myth. Great leaders are made and great leaders are made because they want to become great leaders. You know, there are lots of people with great personalities, naturally charismatic or very effervescent or, you know, highly extroverted. Um, maybe they're 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 just, you know, just the, they're attractive people that you want to be around. They're good people. That's great doesn't make you a leader. Uh, A leader is someone who clearly um, is driven by the best interests of other people. They're driven by the greater good they serve. They're driven by, you know, wanting to learn and grow and stretch. They're driven by good information and insights. They're driven by what it means to, you know, create an opportunity for everybody to thrive, to serve customers, and to keep themselves out of the center of the story. Um, and that is all stuff you have to learn that it's leadership is about as unnatural an act as you can get as a human being. 
for sure. I mean, it, it's a very interesting perspective. And like I said, you know, you're, it's resonating with me on a very high level because when I look back at my life, as much as I would like to think that I'm a natural born leader, at the end of the day, it was playing sports and, you know, honestly putting myself in positions to lead other individuals, you know, so it, it hits home for me. And, you know, I want to stay on the topic of your experience and kind of ask some selfish questions here. Um, the, the next selfish question I'm going to ask is what's your advice when it comes to actually adapting to the changes that are taking place or coming about when you are growing or scaling your business? And I would like to honestly throw in a, a double-edged sword there and ask how you would deal with them from a personal standpoint as well as a professional. So the first thing I, I think is implied in your question, Matt, is that you're actually paying attention to the changes that are happening, right? So many leaders are, are blind to them. They're so inwardly focused, they're navel-gazing, they're focused on their own product, or worse, if they've been successful and they've got some tailwinds, they're completely ignoring what's just around the corner. Um, and so a good friend of mine, Rita McGrath, you know, from uh, Columbia, a fellow Marshall Goldsmith coach of mine, just wrote a book called Looking at, uh, Seeing Around Corners, comes out in a few months. Great book on what it means to anticipate disruption. If you're not paying attention to the fact that they're inevitably coming, you're sure going to miss them. But then the reality is, which ones do you pay attention to? Which ones do you adapt to? And which ones do you stay the course with? Knowing the ones that threaten your business or that potentially offer an opportunity to your business is critical. Um, and if you're not... Um, you know, savvy enough to know what makes you special, you're not going to know which disruptions are threats and which ones are opportunities. So you've got to pay attention. You've got to know the context of your business. You have to know, and part of that means paying almost maniacal attention to the people who pay you money, you know, who your customer or client base, what are their needs? What, what questions are they asking you? What questions are they asking you that aren't being answered by anybody? Where are they struggling? Where, where is whatever you do for them not meeting all the needs it could? You've got to be in there and become a student of the world you serve, a constantly data collecting machine. Um, personally, what that means is you have to not be wed to your own ideas. You have to be willing to sort of be passionate about an idea and we want to let it go in the same breath and not have a need to be right, not have a need to have things go your way. If you have strong control needs, adaptation is going to come really hard. You've you got to be able to flex. You've got to be able to thrive on the fact that you can on, on, learn, learn and turn it on a dime and have that be okay. If you're not comfortable making mistakes, if you're not comfortable being wrong, if you're not comfortable having other people test your assumptions – um, that, that adapting process is probably going to be pretty painful for you. I love what you mentioned about always being a student, right? And, and being that sponge. I think that mentality is, you know, remarkable. And clearly you exemplify that, right? You've honestly, you know, in such a short time, we've really only been talking for less than 20 minutes here and you've exemplified such great knowledge and value and insights and things of that nature. I'm really grateful you've shared all of this thus far. Now, I mean, I have to ask, you don't just learn from the highs. You obviously learn from the lows as well. Sometimes from my personal experience, I've learned more from the lows than I have from the highs. So I have to ask you in your experience with, you know, all of you've done thus far, what was that you know, that, that low or that low point, if you've had one that really taught you something. Oh gosh. Uh, you know, which, which, which day, <laughs> um, you know, I think that we all, all make a lot of assumptions. Like, so, so here's a great example of the question you asked about seeing disruption that my firm completely missed. So when we began our career in leadership and organizational work, 
um, you know, 30 years ago and started our firm 15 years ago, it was a very different landscape, right? You know, leadership and organizational work was, it was the special forces work of consulting. It was a unique uh, asset. It was definitely a specialized set of skills uh, that you called, you know, the, the Navy SEALs for. Fast forward 15 years, Matt, and everybody and their mother and their uncle and their second cousin is a coach. Um, everybody's touting leadership as their work, teams as their work. You know, organizational behavior has become the flavor du jour. Um, whether they're qualified to do it, trained to do it, or skilled to do it, different issue. But there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of practitioners that flooded the playing field in the last, you know, probably 10 years. Did my firm recognize that as the, as the threat that it was to us and the incumbency that we held and the need to then further differentiate ourselves from that pack? Not a clue. We missed it. And now, you know, we, that we get compared to the five-year coach, right? I walk in the room with 30 years of experience, 40, 40 CEOs under my belt, you know, countless global transformations. And they're asking me, but this guy over here who's you know, got a college degree and three years of experience is so much cheaper. Why wouldn't I hire him? Uh, and I'm like, you know, maybe you should. <laughs> just, yeah. And so we, we just, we missed the boat. We didn't see it coming. And, we, and, when, and when we did see it coming, we didn't really understand the threat that it was and that, and that it was going to keep coming like a freight train. So it was very discouraging for me. I was, you know, at, at the point in my career, I thought I would have, be having to work the least hard to attract the best clients. I was having to work harder than ever, and it wasn't working at all. You know, eight books, articles, I, I was not, I was, I was still attracting the sociopaths that I didn't want to work with. So I, well, I, I did what I would advise my clients to do. I got help. I hired a coach for me. I so I needed to take my own medicine. And so four years ago, I hired a coach to help me figure out what I needed to do to, you know, not only just catch up with the rest of the world, but figure out how to set myself apart and how to figure out how to attract the kinds of clients I wanted to attract and not just the ones that nobody wanted to work with. So, you know, I mean, you, we all get in a ditch, even, you know, and we were wildly successful as a firm. We still are. We're still a good firm, but we've had to dig deep. On this, so I think you know the question when you're in a ditch is don't for goodness sake don't stay there. You know, Winston Churchill wonderfully said, "When you're marching through the gates of hell, keep marching." Um, and there are days I get you know I get incredibly discouraged and frustrated with having to do this at this point in my career, but you got to do it. And so there's no use you know if you get in a ditch or get get something that goes sideways, you can whine about it, but that's not going to get you very far. Um, and so that's when you, your New York roots of get up and keep going, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta dig for that DNA and, and pick yourself up and keep moving. I'm a big believer in that. I, honestly, I'm a big believer that anyone born in New York has a hustler spirit and, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Like we're just born with something that keeps us going. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. And on the topic of, you know, that, that student sponge mentality, I have to ask, how do you change your mindset from defensive to curious when receiving feedback? And the reason I ask that is because, you know, it, uh, it's actually in a book that I'm reading right now, and I, th I feel like it just goes hand in hand with the topic. So wh what has the change in that mindset for you to become more receptive to the feedback you're receiving, even if it is unsolicited and you didn't even ask for it? Um, you know, I think you have to tell yourself in advance that feedback is a gift, right? Um, he here's the question I, I'll, I ask my clients. If you 
were at a very nice dinner party with a significant other. And you decided to leave early for whatever reason. You get in the car and your significant other turns to you and says, honey, you have a big thing hanging off the end of your nose. It's been there all night. Get it off. You, you might turn to him or her and say, uh, you tell me now? <laughs> Every one of us has things hanging off our behavior that we can't see. Everybody else is talking about them. You might as well get in on the conversation. If you, I tell leaders all the time, if you don't have somebody in your office on a regular basis telling you where you're falling short or where you screwed up or where you pissed them off or where something you did irritated them on a regular basis, there's something wrong with your leadership. Because to assume that you're that good is stupid. So the only answer is there's a reason we're not telling you. Um, what those things are. And if you're not soliciting that feedback, then you're missing out incredible opportunities. And the only conclusion to draw is you either don't care about them or you're assuming they're not there, neither of which will get you very far. So um, you got to be grateful for the fact that when someone tells you something you're doing that's not working, that's a great opportunity to do something better. Um, and, and to be grateful that somebody cared enough to tell you the truth. Um, if, if you struggle if you overpersonalize critique, if you if you see critique as disloyalty from people, um, if you see feedback as unfair or that, that it's ill-motivated in some way, if any of those are your responses to somebody holding up a mirror to you that shows your shortfalls, you should not be leading. You should absolutely step away quickly because you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt a lot of other people. You know, I think self-awareness plays a big role in that. So on the topic of that right there, I have to ask, from your experiences, what do you feel are the top characteristics or trait of leaders within organizations you consult with? Oh, my gosh. Um, that's all. Uh, so I can tell you what our research found, right? So we did a, 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 a long um, study. Uh, to understand what, what set great leaders apart. It was a 10-year study with 2,700 leaders in it. Um, and um, we, uh, what we found, there were four. One was context. They could read the tea leaves around them. They could understand. They were curious about their industries, disruptions. Uh, breadth, they, could, they saw how the pieces of the organization fit together. They knew how, um, how you know, sales and marketing had to work together. They knew how, where the seams needed to be uh, greater cohesion. They could make hard decisions. They could say no in, in their choice making and they had incredible relationships and they prioritized those relationships by, um, by those they could help succeed, not by who could help them. So context, breadth, choice, connection were the four and they're highlighted in our book, Rise into Power, um, that, that set those leaders apart. Interesting. Now, from a personal standpoint, what do you feel are your top characteristics or traits or habits? I know you mentioned habits earlier in this show. What do you feel like are your, you know, top things that have made you successful? Oh, uh, gosh, you should, you should probably ask the people around me who have a better sense of that. I, I know I work really hard. Um, I, I, know, as I know that to be better and to get better, you have to invest effort and time and, and, grow, and grow. So, I, you know, the reason I keep my coach is she pushes me. And, uh, you know, it's like no great athlete doesn't train, right? So for me to stay at the top of my game and be a practitioner in this field uh, and to make the difference I want to make, I work really hard at it. Um, 
The second one is, uh, is um, I work hard to be generous. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of people who came before me paved the way for me to be successful. And so for me, this, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to find ways to give back. I'm eager to find ways to help, to reach back to people who are, you know, a few steps further on the, before me on the path or to people who need help. Um, I think, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm part of a much bigger story in the world that if I ever forget that. Um, I'm in trouble. And the best way to remember that you're part of a bigger story is to look for the people who are also in that story and struggling and to find ways to help them. And I don't take myself too seriously. You know, we're, you know, we're New Yorkers, Matt, so you know, sarcasm is genetic for us. (laughs) Uh, I try and keep it light and keep it funny. Yeah, I think that that right there is a great piece of advice, something that I personally need to hear because, you know, when you're grinding, when you're hustling, sometimes you, you lose track of things as we talked about earlier in the show and I I take myself way too seriously take my work way too seriously sometimes and in fact it was actually while working with Damon John of Shark Tank for the first three years of my life out of college post-college life and um, you know he he really enlightened me or or brought light to a subject around that topic and really said hey we're we're doing business here we're not doing brain surgery it's you know you're going to lose a couple bucks one day you're going to make some money the next it's just a part of it so after learning that it's definitely helped me although I have to say I'm still working on it Ron so I appreciate you you know shining light on that again and you know you mentioned your coach a couple times so what's the best piece of advice you've received it doesn't have to be from your coach but in life in general you know, my mentor, she's now, uh, she just turned 80, still going strong, teaching in academe, te- you know, coaching. She, you know, she goes to the gym four times a week. She's a, you know, she's an amazing woman, also a, a fellow New Yorker. And she taught me early on when she took me under her wing, you know, decades ago, nothing in life is irrevocable except death. You get do-overs. And if you can treat life like you get do-overs, you'll, tr- you'll try, you'll, you won't be so fearful of trying things. You won't be so worried about what other people think of you. You won't be so, you know, willing to second guess your opportunities. So I think, you know, I tell clients that are just starting out in their careers or leaders who are just leading for the first time, you're going to skin your knees. It's going to go badly. You can always apologize, get up and move on and learn. But, you know, the, the, the shots you never take are the ones you're going to regret. So, you know, you get do-overs, use them. So next question for you on the topic of advice, what was a piece of advice that you've been given that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? You know, it was, so from my coach and her early diagnostic, it was face out. You know, she, she, in her own assessment of my work, realized that I was only talking to people that I knew. I wasn't talking uh, to people that uh, didn't know me. And so for me to meet new people, I, I was in no way uh, in the pathway to do so. So while it was painful, I realized that I had to start, you know, create a whole new set of muscles and accept the fact that everything I've been doing uh, to try and reach new people was not working because it was the wrong thing to do. And I didn't even know the right thing to do. So while it was a painful, you know, dose of Arctic glacier water in my face, um, you know, now four years later, um, I've come to appreciate, you know, while, while it's been hard, it, it was great advice. Yeah, 
for sure. You know, sometimes it's uh, tough to take the advice sometimes. I mean, I could resonate with that on a very high level. There's times people give me advice, sometimes unsolicited, like we mentioned before. And, you know, at the end of the day, it proves to be true over time occasionally. And it's just like very eye-opening. So, you know, that's, again, to the topic of being a sponge and being a student, it's honestly all aligning very well right here in this episode. And, you know, you mentioned that you were, or you do five to however many shows a week from, in regards to podcast, what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Ah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I can think of a lot of questions I wish people would stop asking. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's like everybody went to the same podcast school and is working off the same script. Um, I appreciate that you didn't do that, uh, Matt, but oh my gosh, stop asking what your morning routine is. Stop asking about your favorite book. Stop asking the hacky podcast questions and ask your own questions. Ask things you really want to know about. The, the best podcast interviews I've done are the ones that are just great conversations full of really good banter where the, the podcast interviewer really is engaged in the conversation. There's so many podcast hosts out there who like to ask and answer the questions because it's really their platform. They don't really care what the guest says. Or they have a, a road script with the same questions they ask everybody regardless of who the guest is. So yeah, I, I think I would say you know, start asking great questions that align with what you know your audience wants to hear and enjoy the conversation. Mm. I love that. I love that. Now, you know, on, on that exact topic, I, I have to ask this, being from New York, you know, we're, we're very much so alike in that sense. What do you feel like New York has taught you over your life? Oh my gosh. I'm, and I can tell you being out here in Seattle where, uh, well, let's just say things are a little different <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Right. Uh, you know, the, I mean, it's a, it's a, I think the, the, there's so many great things about New York, but it's because it's so big, nobody doubts they can do something. There's never any sense of, I'm not sure if we should try that. New Yorkers are like, let's go. Um, and I just think that never say die, um, attitude that, you know, that, and that sense of what you see is what you get. Um, you never wonder where you stand with a New Yorker. You know, people, when people ask me the difference between New York and Seattle, I say, you know, people in New York were not polite, but were super friendly. And here in Seattle, people are super polite, but they're not friendly. You know, and if you ask, if you ask a New Yorker for directions, they're going to say, you idiot, it's right over there. Come here, I'll take you. And they'll walk you there. Um, And then they'll take you for a beer. (laughs) They smack you upside the head and say, you should have used the app. Um, You know, so I just think that there's a, that never said, and I think this, you know, Part of what 9-11 did for us in New York was it, it instilled an incredible sense of protection of people you care about and, and, a, and a, a definite sense of we, we care for our own. Um, I, you know, the company that I worked for lost 300 people uh, on 9-11. And it was, a, you know, it was a permanent impact on my soul to watch the city respond and to be part of the volunteer efforts and to, you know, having, to help parents find their loved ones in hospitals when it happened. Um, so, you know, I just think that the never say die, help everybody that you can. Um, it, it's, it's one of many, many great characteristics that makes New York so unique. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's definitely, if you've ever been to CVS, I'm sure you've seen uh, the receipts. If you're a member there, literally as tall as me, I'm six foot five. These receipts go on forever. And that's exactly how long I could talk about what New York has taught me. So uh, I definitely resonate with the kind of never settle mindset that a lot of people here, you see it from everything from like the bagel carts in the morning that are on a Manhattan corner to, you know, the, the taxi drivers and everything in between. It's honestly, you know, it's remarkable. And, you know, as you touched on that togetherness that came about after um, tragedies, just like 9-11. It's, you know, to see what the city really is in its deepest form is honestly remarkable. I mean, I'm super grateful that, you know, I'm from here and I'm sure you would say the same thing. So Ron, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'd love to ask you just one last question. If someone came up to you today, seeking a piece of advice to achieve their definition of success on top of all the value you already provided, what advice would you give them? I would ask for a story. I would say, tell me the moment you look back in your life over the last five years that you feel like you were at your best. It was your record setting performance, your record setting moment in life. The moment that uh, if you could repeat more of them, you would. And I'd ask for the story. And after hearing the story, I would say, I would say to them, tell me what you think made that story true. And when they listed out the characteristics of that story, I would say, tell me how, how do you live by those characteristics? Tell me how those guide your life. Because, because if you're not living by those characteristics, you're probably not living your best life and not being your best self. So I, rather than telling people, I would ask, because I think the answers are within all of us. And so I don't know that you can tell somebody how to, how to be successful, but you can ask them to dig up, dig in and realize the ways they already have been successful and to find out why they're not living that way more often. For sure. That's actionable advice that I feel like a lot of us that are tuned in or all of us that are tuned in can really, you know, use to our advantage. So Ron, I appreciate you sharing that. Where can people keep up with you on social, any websites, any special projects? This is the time to drop them all. Yeah. Come, come stay in touch. I hope that people will come and hang out at our website, Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. Um, we've got a great, we've got great videos. We've got great uh, white papers and content. There's a free ebook. If you want, if you're leading some kind of big change in your life, you can get our playbook for it at navalent.com slash transformation. We have a quarterly magazine you can sign up for for free uh, on all kinds of areas of self-development and self-improvement and leadership and teams. Um, and come follow me on Twitter at Ron Carucci and come hang out with me on LinkedIn uh, as well. Ron, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us again today. I'm super grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. That's a deal, Matt. Thanks so much. And there you have it straight from my guy, Ron Carucci. Now, big shout out to Ron. First and foremost, I'm going to ask you to make sure you are connecting with him on social media. He is on Twitter. He is on LinkedIn, and he is an amazing resource to have in your network. If you couldn't tell from this episode, which I'm pretty damn sure you could, he is someone that you want to be connected with. So make sure you are doing just that. On top of it, as always, I want to make sure that we're breaking down a few of the key points. And listen, Ron made this really hard, but I'm going to break down a few of the key points that really resonated with me on a super high level. First and foremost, number one, it takes 10 years for an overnight success. And you want to know what? It's so crazy. In chapter two of Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Outliers, if you have not picked this book up, make sure you pick it up because in chapter two, he talks about how it takes 10 years 
also known as 10,000 plus hours to be able to become an expert in anything, right? And it just, it's so crazy how this all aligns. So hearing that from Ron in this interview and reading that book, man, it is so true. You know, the overnight success shit, throw it out the window because it took people 10 plus years. It took them 10,000 plus hours to make sure they got it done. Number two, not having the need to be right. This is a major key in not only business, but in life, right? Having no expectation on being right and having no expectations at all because expectations are how you get let down. So when you go into something with the clean slate, understanding that you could be wrong, number one, you're going to start trying things more often because you don't have the need to be right. You're not going to be scared to look silly. And I don't want to use the word stupid which was about to come out but you were you know you're you're able to put yourself out there more so we already talked about number one 10 years slash 10,000 hours to become an overnight success quote unquote number two not having the need or the expectation to be right now number three the shots you never take are the ones you're going to regret now that is a direct quote from Ron himself in this episode and I can't tell you how damn true it is listen we get one one go at this life. Why are we not taking the risk or, you know, living up to our truest potential? And I get it. There's realities of life. There's the bills. There's the children, the mortgage. There's, you know, limitations to an extent. But at the end of the day, you have to find a way to progress towards getting rid of those things in your life. And I'm not saying get rid of the kids, but you know, you have to grow around them. You have to, what I'm saying is get rid of the limitations, get get rid of what's holding you back. Because at the end of the day, with only one of these lives, are we really going to go through it and make everyone else's dream a reality? Or are you going to make sure that yours becomes a reality. I really want you to think about that. And lastly, number four, I never give out four, but Ron, Ron's pushed me to give out four here. Number four is kind of what we were discussing when we, we were talking about New York. And in that moment, we were talking about just that quote unquote, let's go, that there's no doubt in my mind type of attitude that New Yorkers have. And you want to know what it, it's much bigger than New York because anyone can adopt this and it kind of goes hand in hand with number three. It's like, just figure shit out along the way. Like, let's make it happen. You have an idea, you have a dream, you have something that you want to bring to fruition. Start today, right now, whatever time you're listening to this. Right now, this is your sign. If you were waiting for a sign, this is your sign. Right now, you are going to start it. Whether the starting it means putting a plan together, writing it out on paper, or hey, maybe it means filing for an LLC with your local um, you know, accountant or, or something of that nature. Just get out there and do it. So to recap that one more time, number one was 10 years slash 10,000 hours to become a quote unquote overnight success slash expert. Number two, not having the need or the expectation to be right in everything. Forget about business for in everything, right? You want to go through life with that type of mindset. Now, number three is making sure you're taking the types of shots or making sure you're taking these shots, the ones that you're not going to regret because you took. 
And number four, having a mentality that goes hand in hand with number three, a let's go, a quote unquote let's go, there's no doubt in my mind type of mentality because you wanna know what, if XYZ can do it, you most definitely can too. Now to that point again, I wanna thank Ron for hopping on here and adding all of this value. I truly appreciate it, I know you do as well. So with that said, I'm gonna ask you to make sure you're leaving a rating and review. If you have not done so already, we are approaching the end of 2019, which means we're also approaching our one-year mark, and we set a goal. You have the opportunity to help us reach that goal by leaving us one of those ratings and reviews, which would mean the absolute world to us. On top of that, I want to give one last shout-out to our amazing partners, Jen M and Audible, who are helping bring about these amazing episodes from amazing individuals, again, just like Ron. If you want to check out Jen M, if you want to check out Audible, just make sure you scroll up. Hit the show notes of this episode where you you can find a link to each. Make sure you're getting your intern game on, especially going into 2020. Make sure you're growing your business in order for you to scale that business. And hey, listen, with the holidays coming up, I'm sure you have some travel coming up as well. So make sure you are diving into some audiobooks on Audible. Make sure you are getting to that. Again, everyone, I want to say thank you. I am grateful for you tuning in. If I do not hear from all of you, and that would be hard for me to do because there's a lot of you, I want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. And yes, there will be an episode coming out on Thanksgiving for me, showing my gratitude for all of you tuning into this show. So until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.